This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 201 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Brady, and I'm joined by David and special guest, publisher of PantherTalk.com, Ben Moore. Uh, we're going to talk to Ben shortly about all the signing day stuff. Uh, that is the most pressing thing because it is the thing that happened literally today as we were recording this. Uh, but me and David will move on from there and also preview the bowl game that's coming up Saturday against Utah State and also look at a one good blowout, one bad blowout for the men's basketball team. Uh, but first, previewed it, said we're going to talk signing day. Uh, Georgia State signed 11 players, seven of them high school recruits, four of them transfers. On the first day, they can bring in uh, signees. Uh, the portal is open until later, like beginning of January, I believe. January 2nd. Uh, but the names we have for now that are future Panthers, Louisville defensive end, Victuan Brown, high school cornerback, Austin McGee, son of Del McGee, Georgia State running backs coach, Monmouth offensive lineman, Kyrie Mason. First surprise of the day that had not been a public announcement until that he signed. Coastal Carolina running back, C.J. Beasley. And to pair with him, Clemson running back Dominique Quadzilla Thomas. And then a bevy of high school uh, commits as well, signees. Wide receiver slash defensive back Deuce Walker. Uh, offensive lineman Jules Ney. Tight end Lane Waddell. Wide receiver Ricardo Tarver. Offensive lineman Dominic Johnson. And linebacker Demain Wilson. Uh, so I guess, Ben, since we have you here, what is the first thing that jumps out to you about this first list of names? Yeah, I, th- I think uh, right, right away the running backs. Um, I think that w- that went, um, you know, one, two, bringing, bringing guys in that have experience, I think is is critical, um, you know, legitimately dumping basically all of your productive running backs this season with Marcus Carroll going to Missouri. You knew that was an area that um, was going to be attractive to a prospective recruit, right? Hey, look, we're going to run the ball. You have a system where you can thrive, do really, really well, um, and and have an opportunity to do that. Um, Grabbing C.J. Beasley, he visited very early um, in the month, uh, in December, December, the December 8th grouping. Uh, We heard some rumblings about it being very, very strong in terms of the transfer portal guys. Um, didn't have a ton of high school kids, uh, you know, in the in the official visit uh, group. Most of those were taken care of in November. Um, but, you know, I think immediately grabbing him and a guy like Dominic Thomas, who just, you know, his story is incredible. Uh, I think that we saw when, when he committed super easy to root for, obviously, his family situation, what he's got, had to overcome, uh, having an opportunity to play at Clemson or a scholarship this season, uh, played in a handful of games. But, you know, it's really, really difficult. You have to be an elite player to crack that lineup uh, there at Clemson. Um, so just being able to see those guys come in right away, I think, was a huge help. Um, you mentioned the, the offensive line depth. I think there's some guys guys that um, both interior and exterior can help to help the depth chart in this uh, roster. Um, you know, you mentioned Brown as well from Louisville guy that's really, really been chomping at the bit. And, you know, we, as we talked about it just a second ago off air, you know, you, you have a scenario where he hasn't been able to see the field quite candidly, just because there's guys in front of him. Uh, you also have a, had a coaching change, you know, went from the staff, which is now at Cincinnati, uh, which bears several, obviously, Georgia State uh, assistant coaches on that staff. Um, but, you know, in his year in Louisville, he's he's been ready to ready to kind of chomp at the bit. So, you know, having that ability to come back home, 
Um, you know, he was a star flat out at Grayson, um, having an opportunity to, you know, kind of use three years worth of uh, worth of practice and, and and things that way to kind of come in and, and just some winning habits as well, too. I think that's that's as important to me uh, coming from a winning program and, and, and uh, you know, building there. But, you know, as much as, you know, the guys that came in from the offensive side of things, I, I you know, put, you know, put jotted down my notes, you got eight out of the 11 signees are going to land on offense, at least to start. Um, I think the wide receiver group is very strong. Um, I, I did get word that Avery McFadden is um, still committed, uh, plans on signing in February. Um, so he he is a guy that, um, as, as for now, as, as we record this, is still in the mix there and can play uh, wide receiver as well. I think that group uh, is certainly, you feel a lot better about the running back in the wide receiver group, but still, you know, uh, as of as of my count right now, you've probably got ten or eleven spots left, um, and that's you know, notwithstanding some guys that may be entering the portal once it um, you know either after the ball game, which could happen, uh, or in the spring as well as guys you know kind of get out there. So, uh, but I think overall, a solid day, not a great day. There's a lot of guys that they were chasing, um, you know, did official visits in the last few weeks that went to other schools um, that we'll see on the schedule, uh, including South Alabama. Jalen Durgan, he's a Juco guy, uh, defensive lineman. Um, we're still waiting on Didi Diablo, one of the uh, best names in this cycle for anybody. Uh, former James Madison uh, commit who um, who decommitted uh, once the coaching change happened, and he was on campus last weekend. So uh, we could see him. You know, he could be a late guy. Uh, we're still waiting on. On, on a few other guys and and waiting for that uh, elusive quarterback name as well. There there were several who visited, and uh, one of the junior college quarterbacks that I had circled, Samari Collier, has decommitted from Arkansas State uh, within the last two hours. So that's something for somebody to keep an eye on. You never know. Uh, while guys can't take visits, um, you know, basically until January, this is a dead period now for the Christmas holiday. Um, there's still commitments to be had, and uh, guys that have taken taking visits can still make commitments and still sign uh, up to, up until this weekend. So uh, there's, there's the hay is not necessarily in the barn, but uh, you could, could see some more surprises tomorrow or Friday. Yeah. And I think the talking about the guys that we know about the one guy that uh, coach Elliott is excited about everyone. Obviously it's signing day. He gets to talk about these kids. He's been recruiting for a long time. The one player that he seemed most excited about, if I can read his, uh, no, his mood correctly. Lane Waddell, the tight end, he talked about how he thinks he looks like already like a transfer, like a guy who's been in college two or three years, I think 6'5", 245, something like that. And he's already a man after Georgia State fans' heart because it looks like he might have picked 88 as his number based on his uh, signee profile. So Georgia State fans, big fans of tight ends who wear 88. Um might be a guy we see sooner on the field than other, just based on what I've read from what he said. And just, you look at the measurables, this is the type of guy that could force his way onto the field. He was a Georgia tech commit before he signed with Georgia state. I saw him, I saw the announcement and I honest to God thought that he was a transfer. Like I, I, I was like, Oh, where is this? Like in the picture, I was like, Oh, where is this guy coming from? Because he just looked like somebody who has, you know, been in the college weight room, before and then I went on uh 24-7 and I was like, oh, this is a commit. Okay. Yeah, he's 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 one that you want to shove off the bus first for sure. Um, you know, su- super athletic guy at six five, um, you know, two forty-five. 
And, you know, again, I mean, like, like Brady mentioned, this kid was, was all, you know, signed, sealed, and ready to rock and roll and, and play in the SEC. Um, took a late visit to UCF uh, to start the month. Uh, they were chasing him pretty hard as well. So, I mean, you have multiple Power Five um, offers. You have multiple Power Five interests. It's one thing to say, hey, I'm going to throw you an offer in the summer. You know, really impressed with you at camp. So, the whole other thing, when I'm chasing you like a week and a half, two weeks before signing day, um, have you on my campus. The, your, your coaches are pretty serious about, you know, bringing you in. Um, and, uh, but no, he, he loved Atlanta. I think Coach Elliott, you know, uh, alluded to that in the, in the conversation there with Allison today. Um, you know, uh, for whatever reason, you know, he and the Georgia Tech staff, I mean, there was a lot of attrition with that staff, a lot of weirdness, obviously, in the middle part of the season as well. So don't don't know 100 percent what's going on, but, you know, lo- love the visit. Um, yeah, actually told me a, told me a story. I got out when I was checking in with them how the visit went and uh, said basically the plane got delayed and his mom had never been to the city of Atlanta, didn't make the visit down. So they were they were super delayed about like four and a half hours, missed the first flight, uh, came back down. The weather was terrible um, the weekend he did but uh, had a great visit. Um, obviously, the way this offense has utilized the tight ends as we continue to see, I mean, you flip the, flip the tape on with with Aubrey, um, certainly with Roger Carter, even late in the season, as we kind of talked about off the air a little bit with Amon Green, Chris Bird. Um, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of two tight end sets here, and that's something that I think will be exciting to see in 24. Chris Burke can come back from his injury healthy. Obviously, the growth that Mon Green had, you know, bring Lane in. Um, there's a lot of options. You know, you still have, I mean, Avian McBride is six seven. I mean, he's he's enormous as well to kind of see his growth. And uh, you know, he may get some burn uh this weekend in the uh, in the bowl game as well. But we'll see. Um, you know, he's he's dressed and listed as the backup. So so we'll 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 see what they have. But um, yeah, you you feel pretty good about the about the tight end room, uh, you know, moving in into spring for sure. Yeah, the volume wasn't as much this year as it was when you had Aubrey and Roger, but I think every single touchdown a tight end scored, the tight end was wide open. And so that's got to be appealing that, you know, you're going to get some easy touchdowns if you come to this offense right now. Yeah, and you got and this and it and I'll be honest, like it's it's for for a tight end, it's not an easy offense. Um, there is a lot of obviously motioning. There's a lot of blocking, a lot of inline block blocking. We saw that this year. Um, you know, with with OC Trent McKnight, you know, he wants to kind of blast that you know that defensive tackle uh, right off the edge there, kind of diving in in between the center and the guard, um, which has really kind of opened up you know some some runs uh, up the middle. Um, we'll see if that happens again. Um, I think that the interesting part too is, I mean, Amon Green was a former high school quarterback, right? So he's a guy that kind of transitioned into that position from, you know, kind of jumbo athlete into tight end, you know, Lane's played tight end his entire career. So he's going to know, he's going to be able to get in and get out of breaks and, and, uh, you know, kind of know where to line up and know where to be um, and just continuing to add size and, and, and athletic ability is, is, is huge for this offense and, you know, give, give another, you know, weapon basically to, to kind of uh, give this offense, I don't, especially with a, you know, a new starting quarterback. I think it's a, uh, it's a great thing. I wanted to ask about the quarterback um, and I'm sure other people are going to want to know. Um, it, I don't think people should be worried that no quarterback has committed, but I at least want to know your thoughts specifically um, just kind of given where the Panthers ended the year and you know, obviously Darren is going to play in the bowl game, but we don't know what the future holds. So, 
Yeah, I mean, and, and we know that Darren's done. This is his final game, right? You know, he had uh, obviously an extra year uh, that he utilized here in 2023 as a super senior year. Um, there has been some rumbling, some conversations about Michele Carlos Sardo considering he he graduated. Um, if, if he could, he go somewhere else potentially in the spring. Could he stick around? Um, I genuinely don't get the sense that um, – that he wants to leave. I um, mean, you know, I think he is happy with what he's got going on here. Um, and, you know, being, being a quarterback uh, at Georgia state and, and having, you know, I, I wish for him personally, I hope he gets an opportunity at least uh, to go through spring as, as QB one, right. You know, we haven't, he hasn't had that here coming from, from South Carolina being the Gatorade player of the year in high school. Uh, he comes in basically in the midst of COVID, um, you know, completely sh- kind of shuts that down. Obviously Granger has had, this job locked up really since he's been on campus. So, um, you know, he's kind of been in his shadow the entire time, but even in the limited reps that he has, it's, you know, it, it hasn't been bad. He hasn't gone out there and, you know, thrown it with his left hand or, you know, throw, thrown a, you know, the, to the, to the other team. Sack um, on, and, the sack strip uh, fumble was not his fault in the Louisiana game, bad play yeah, call and a uh, guy missed the block. Yeah, that was, that was bad. And, 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 and also from the one side that I thought, you know, was kind of one, one of those where, Hey, he's more athletic than we give him credit for. I mean, you saw him in that Louisiana game as well. I mean, he was able to kind of, you know, stick his nose in there and and really uh, push the ball out of the field as well with his legs. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I don't think either of the other freshmen are ready at all. Um, you know, Harrison, um, a kid from Lassiter, had uh, surgery this season and basically took a red shirt. I'm not 100 percent sure whether he's going to be ready to rock and roll in spring. Um, Braylon Raglan, I heard, did a good job uh, running the scout team. Um, the biggest thing is you just you know you don't want your first opportunity in, in college football and especially in the season next year you've got a, a road game opening up at Georgia Tech you've got a home game at Vandy a couple weeks later um, Chattanooga is a very solid FCS program as well so I think this is an opportunity to go into the portal um, you know they they had Dexter Williams the second uh, from Indiana uh, he visited the first week of um, of December. He's been super mum on kind of his future and, and what he's looking at. Um, he's a guy that I would certainly, you know, keep an eye on, on social media. Um, mentioned uh, Samari Collier as well, junior college uh, guy who just decommitted to Arkansas state. Arkansas state had a massive commit uh, kid from Alabama, uh, one of their top, top, um, uh, quarterback uh, commits ever there for Butch Jones. So that uh, obviously made Collier uh, kind of expendable for them. Um, you know, he may have an opportunity as well. He's another guy that's kind of that dual threat um, guy, one of the top uh, Juco uh, quarterbacks this cycle. Um, he'll have obviously some more, some more phone calls and some options now that he's, he's available. Um, I could see two quarterbacks getting brought in just depending on what happens in the spring, but as we see every cycle as well, once the portal closes, you know, here January 2nd, the portal will open again after spring. So you have guys that will look at the, at the depth chart and say, yeah, I'm not going to play here. I may come out of spring, be third or fourth on the depth chart or, you know, look around and I may need a, need a better, newer, fresher opportunity. Um, we also don't know about the movement on the staff. We've talked about it uh, for, for weeks and weeks. You know, what happens after the bowl game? Is there, is there any staff changes um, offensively uh, that could lead to a you know, quarterback want to come in, you know, slightly different style. So um, I think that's a possibility as well, but I think for now, those, those are probably the two names that I'm watching the rest of this week um, and just, 
you know, moving forward into you know, that could be on campus. Uh, I know the need to get a quarterback on campus by spring is is vital. You just have to have additional one. Um, you know, they've always wanted to have four scholarship uh, quarterbacks, and you just won't have that. Um, you know, once uh, Granger exhausts his eligibility on, uh, after Saturday. Yeah, because there's two parts of this where it's like. I forget if it was Gavin Pringle or Ty G. Leach, but one or both of them did not come until the, the, the summer. Right. And they were number one of their position from when they started practicing, basically. So, like, there might be some transfers that come in after that window you're talking about. They come in in the summer just because they won't be able to enroll before and go through spring practice. But they might still be contributors. But the other part of it is if you're a quarterback, you want them in as soon as possible to learn that playbook and get comfortable in the offense. And so... I kind of think the coaching staff thinks the same way and that they're going to add one, maybe two quarterbacks, like you say, because in the next 10 days, they need to get that stuff sorted because they got to get them enrolled so they can play in spring practice because yeah, it will be an interesting time. Uh, The last time uh, a quarterback competition was like this, a freshman quarterback ended up taking the job at quad Brown. It feels different this time. It feels like it's not going to be one of the freshmen, but uh I feel like everyone's going to be more comfortable if there's just a lot of names they can point to where it's like, it could be this guy or this guy or, or this guy before you have to go to, it's going to be a freshman lining up against Georgia tech next uh, August. Yeah. And I think it's a, it's a huge opportunity as well. And I think coach Elliott knows that, um, you know, that there's going to be a lot of flux, uh, especially defensively, you know, uh, with Georgia tech, they like let their, def- you know, let several defensive coaches go. Um, you have a new D- DC over there as well. Um, I think it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch. They had the tech had a very uh, solid signing day today as well. Um, I expect them to add a ton more. Uh, they have a pl- have plenty of room from what I understand um, as well. Uh, they've been very good offensively uh they, they will have some incumbents you know coming back there but defensively who knows but they've been one of the worst defensive um you know power five programs in the country uh consecutive years so um there is an opportunity for a quarterback to say hey look this is where we play week one um you know come in here and make a name for yourself against an acc opponent and then you play an sec opponent in week three so go get you some kid yeah we almost need to have you back on as soon as the rest of this period comes because like Part of my thought with some of this is last year when this window opened, you saw them immediately add, okay, we lost Thomas Gore. Here's Henry Bryant. We lost Jamil Muhammad. Okay. Here's Kevin Swint. Okay. We lost, we lost uh, this time, you know, they, they're probably going to add a quarterback. They added running backs, obviously. And they added some guys that might play right away, but it feels like last year they had, they felt a need to go out and get these transfers. And maybe I'm going to be wrong. And maybe when this window closes, it's going to be that they've added a couple more power conference right away starters. But is there a sense of maybe in some of these spots, whether it's cornerback, whether it's safety, trusting some of the guys they've added in recent classes and that they're going to take a step heading into 2024? Yeah, I, I think Saturday dictates quite a bit, to be candid. I mean, I think you're going to learn a lot about um, some of the guys, some of the younger guys in the secondary. I think some of the younger guys that maybe didn't play a ton um, at linebacker, you know, just to see um, where where the needs are. Um, I, I, you know, we've talked about offensive line as well. Um, you know, they, they offered, you know, Tyler Gibson, uh, who, who just entered the transfer portal from Georgia Tech, um, you know, uh, very shortly, he's 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 a tackle, an experienced tackle at that. Um, anytime I think you can add experience depth, I don't think it's a bad thing. But I agree with you. I mean, I don't think there's a ton uh, of potential starters outside of quarterback. Um, you know, kind of just going going back and forth. You know, probably 
probably the, the other side's safety, um, you know, that star position as well. You know, there probably will be guys that's, you know, at, at corner as well, kind of looking at that. But I mean, again, we, we've seen guys like Isaiah Guy step forward this season. He's a young guy. You want to, want to have some, some work. I think even on the defensive line, um, I think, you know, you may want to add one more, but at some point, some of these young guys are going to have to play as well. You know, Ozzie Hoffler uh, was a guy that came in, you know, a highly recruited from Kansas state didn't really play much, got banged up, um, you know, early part of the season. He's been on the travel squad. Um, haven't seen a ton of uh, a ton from him, um, you know, especially with, you know, Stags, you know, playing his, playing his, you know, former, um, former Coastal Carolina guys and Josiah Robertson and, and Robinson and, and Corey Warren, both those guys should see their reps increase, I believe next season as well. Um, but you know, th- there's, there's certainly a lot of reps available. Um, but I think the biggest thing you know, that we saw today is, you know, the running back room went from, Oh my gosh, dire need to, okay. Yeah. We feel a lot better. We, we feel a lot better about where we're going um, and who's going to be able to get carries. And um, you know, it's, it's a big, it's a big weekend for Freddie Brock too, in my opinion opinion because he's a guy that was you know kind of a behind the scenes backup guy behind Marcus Carroll did, and um, you know did not get the carries there against Old Dominion um, and uh, could he have an opportunity to you know to to basically carve a name out for himself because um, you know you bring in a guy in CJ Beasley I, I would assume you know coach Elliott's not going to say it today but I would assume he's your starter uh, he's played a ton of games at Coastal Carolina has played in this league uh, you know more than comfortable and uh, I, I think too the guys that they brought in significant size you know Be- Beasley's a big kid uh, Dominic Thomas is massive I, obviously his nickname is uh, is not uh, is well earned uh, there I think he's going to uh, certainly do some work in the if way you room. believe the stat sheets are the measurables he is about Casey Adams height. He is not Casey Adams size. That's yeah, the thing he, I said in our chat earlier this week. Cause it's like, he looks like a real bona fide college athlete. Those, uh, those, those Clemson vitamins, man, I'm telling you, they're, uh, they're a little bit, a little, little bit different than what they, uh, what, what they got going on uh, there at center park stadium. But no, he's, he's a, uh, but, he, but honestly, he was, he was a super thick guy in high school, uh, really, really well put together and just continued to add mass. And um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see, you know, kind of what he looks like um, in, in this offense as it, as you know, as we know it right now. And um, you know, again, pointing to to Marcus Carroll's year saying, look, man, like this, you could have that kind of production. Uh, we're going to run the football, you know, 65% of the time. That's been, that's been coach Elliott's MO, but regardless of whoever the OC has been. We're going to get a Tucker Greg type running back again. And it's, uh, I can't wait. The short yardage game hasn't been that it has had room for improvement the last couple of years. So can't wait to see that again. I think that's those two guys right there. Mm -hmm. Short yardage. That's what Beasley and Thomas have got their name all over that. In addition to whatever feature back role Beasley may or may not have. Yeah. And and I can honestly see another and a running back added, you know, from a developmental side of things as well. I I think you have you have another spot potentially there Um, or, you know, having an opportunity, as we were talking a little bit about off air. You know, what is Jalen Foster? If he does he get five, six, eight snaps in the bowl game, what does he do with that? You know, he's a guy that was, you know, touted kind of as a a little bit faster home run hitter, a little bit on the smaller side, like 170 pounds. Um, But, you know, this the one thing that this really hasn't had in a couple of years is, is that home run guy um you know Beasley could could be that guy I'm interested I don't think 
you know, Dominic Thomas is a, is a, you know, a super speedy guy. He's more of kind of a, you know, bang, bang in there guy. Um, but we'll see, you know, these guys could prove us wrong. We'll see when they get through, um, you know, with the strength and conditioning program as well. And, 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 you know, let's be honest too. They're not facing, you know, ACC, uh, level defenses either. You, you're not, not having to worry about that. Um, and I think as well, you know, CJ playing in the Sunbelt East for a couple of years as well to kind of, kind of get him more, more comfortable and, and, um, the thing that I think I'm, I'm impressed uh, with him as well. I would love to see him get the ball in space, you know, really try to get the ball out. And I know the screen game didn't exactly work, um, you know, for running backs this season, but you know, that's something that, that certainly can be, can be developed with some guys who can catch the ball out of the backfield. Carroll was pretty good at it, uh, but I can leave that point to one side. Um, they're going to be able to sign, you know, decisions to come about who is still in the roster, who might not still be in the roster in a month. But about the same amount of players as they signed today, just the re- for the rest of their uh, – and it's going to be interesting to see where they go because I just talked about maybe they feel comfortable with some guys. If they add in a Juco corner or someone like that, it'll be like, okay, maybe they want to add something more. I think it will tell us a lot about where they value what's on the roster and what they need to add, where they come from. So it will be a really telling further 11 or thereabouts signees the rest of the way as we – continue as we finish recruiting season or oh that's a recruiting season doesn't finish i shouldn't have even said that but finish this leg of it wherein players can sign for their chosen universities yeah recruiting never stops that's for sure especially this portal era um it's it's unbelievable um the, even the window slamming shut um you got guys who want to move around and and uh and and have opportunities and um yeah done done for now right but we'll throw up the, the sirens if there's the QB podcast that needs to be done in the next couple of weeks or something. That that works for me. Happy, happy to jump on and, uh, you know, break, break that down with uh, with whoever, whoever that, that QB is going to be. I, I gave, gave, gave two names away tonight, uh, something to keep an eye on. And uh, I've reached out to both and see uh, if there's anything new and, and latest. And as we mentioned a little earlier, can't, they can't go take visits uh, right now. It's technically a dead period, but uh, both have visited, have both visited Georgia State. So some, something to keep an eye on. I feel good. I like, I, I don't, obviously the numbers are what they are. Rankings are subjective and, you know, maybe some people are going to feel bad about today, but you know, in the same kind of vein that we felt last year at this time, going into the 2023 season, um, I really feel like they saw the needs, at least in this first window, saw some needs and really, tried to fill the holes as best as they could. You know, obviously quarterback is still a need and, you know, we've talked about that, but it really does look like they have found kind of their path to getting to at least next year so far, getting to the spring game, if you will. Um, And, you know, like you said, once January comes around, there'll be more time to, you know, see if there's any other commits out there. You know, the signing period will open up again after the dead period. So, it's not going to look like the best class in the Sun Belt, and that might upset some people. Um, and, you know, all summer we'll have a conversation about the coaching and, you know, ways that they can actually improve off of, you know, this year. But for now, I feel like that, you know, it's it, they did a good job. I can say that they did a good job.
Yeah, lots of room. That's that's the biggest thing. And and this is also something that I, that I would take a look at. There's a lot of high school kids, especially with the portal swinging open. Um, a lot of very quality high school kids kind of get pushed to the side. Um, I, I would expect to see some additional visits in January and having opportunities of for some kind of under the radar guys, you know, being signed, um, you know, within the state. There, there's some guys that. Um, you know, we have we have seen it continue to kind of push down. Obviously, the higher end guys, four star, five star guys. Um, there's plenty of, of three star guys still available in the state of Georgia. So um, this is where you have to trust your evaluations. Hey, you know, we 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 like our group. We don't love it, or maybe we just need to you know improve and, and add um, you know a, a body there. I think that's that's an opportunity as well. Uh, we're going to see that. I, I think in January you're going to see some uh, you know look up once the once the dust clears, and there's going to be quite a few kids who are still out there still looking for homes and um you know you, we can we can see them you know we, we can see them get picking up offers um you know I'm, I'm going through the the offer list now um for some of the some of the guys that looked at I me mean, you're you're talking uh one two three uh run, you know high school running backs basically did not sign today um out of the 25 offers uh there several are are still unsigned as well so um there's got six, seven, eight guys are still out there. So there, there's still still plenty of positions available. Uh, I know they were chasing uh, a, a kicker as well uh, who was going to play baseball. Uh, he was just he just got uh, offered by an ACC school. So uh, that probably is out, uh, I would guess. So I would think they would probably ride with um, with what they've got there at kicker and and uh, you could could see some you could see some movement there too because we know uh, with two freshman kicker uh, there in, in Isaac and, and Liam uh, I wouldn't couldn't imagine both of them sticking it out um, the, the whole ride uh, considering they're they're of the of the same class and so um, could we see a specialist or two uh, maybe uh, but you know those are those are typically late ads for the most part anyway. Well, ben, thanks for helping us run through all of that. Um, hope you enjoy the game on Saturday uh, from, I guess, home probably. I don't think that you're making the trip with me to Boise. I, I am not, my man. Uh, that's that's all you. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for you. Uh, excited for you to see Boise. And, uh, yeah, dress warmly, my friend. Dress warmly. I shall. I shall. Thank you, Ben, again. Yeah, thanks, fellas. Appreciate you. Thanks so much, Ben. I mean, that was, that was the perfect segue, honestly, uh, leaving talking about the bowl game because uh, that's where we're going to pick up now that we have dispensed with the signing day stuff. We gave a little bit of a brief, you know, what was it, two pods ago before we spoke to Dave, just introductory thoughts on the game with Utah State, but now it's, it's game week, so let's dig into the nitty-gritty on this one. Uh, doing a little bit of that again, hitting just kind of the, the big notes from the Aggie season. They were 6-6. Six and six. Uh, they actually had the same record as Georgia State against common opponents, but uh, both of them were vastly different outcomes to the Georgia State versions of the games because they lost 45-38 to 38 at home against James Madison, and they squeaked by at UConn 34-33. So I don't think you can draw a ton from that, but I thought that was interesting, that it was like the same result, but that doesn't tell anything like the story of those games. I remember that game with Utah State and UConn. That was a hectic ending that uh, UConn fought back in and missed an extra point that would have tied it and sent it to overtime. Yeah, I feel like I remember uh, just casually paying attention to that one. I want to say that was the weekend I was in Atlanta. Um, so I couldn't like 
totally totally watch it uh but it that certainly was an interesting game and looking at their season i mean there's some very very high highs here um anytime you can score in the 70s that's you know you're feeling good regardless of if it was against an fcs school um but anytime that you score 70 and still end up having a season that ends in six and six you you start to question some things i feel like yeah, I will say randomly watching games and seeing stuff like that, really good as a G5 fan because like in this example, who knows, that might be the team that you are going to play in a bowl game. And it's like, oh, I've already seen like five minutes of them randomly on CBS Sports Network. So I've got some idea. Whereas if you didn't do that, now you're sitting here looking at Utah State and you're waiting for us to tell you what's what. Um, Season stats, uh, they were 34.1 points per game on offense, and they allowed 33.8 points per game defensively. So about the numbers and about the differential you'd expect with a team that's 6-6. Six and six, uh, Offensively, they had uh, balance, I think you would say, 186.58 rushing yards, 4.83 yards per carry. And then the big number for them, which makes sense because we watched Blake Anderson teams when he was at Arkansas State, 259.8 passing yards a game. They certainly, for the most part, lived through the air and got a lot of, made a lot of hay through the air. But the thing that will be interesting to watch with this game, Levi Williams was the quarterback when they won their regular season finale at New Mexico. Georgia State has seen him before. He was the quarterback in the 2019 Arizona Bowl as a member of the Wyoming Cowboys. He, from what they showed in that game, is more of a running quarterback. He is not Cooper Legault who is their starting quarterback for most of the year, who will not play in the bowl game because of a shorter injury. But in the game against New Mexico on the road, Utah State rushed for 302 yards and passed for 198. And that might have been game-specific. It might have been game script. It might have just been in the middle of the season, getting a guy thrown in there, going to work to his strengths. And maybe after a bowl game or after a month of prepping for a bowl game, that you'll see more of the stock Utah State offense we saw for most of the year. But that, I think, is going to be the interesting thing to watch with the Utah State offensive side of things is like, is it the style that they had done most of the year? Or is this going to tailor it to Levi Williams' game? Because with what we saw with Georgia State's passing game, if they are going with the more rushing side of things, that might be advantage Georgia State rather than having to deal with, you know, the type of numbers I just ran down that they had as a passing unit. I don't think they're going to go away from it completely, but it's just something that's be interesting to see what their game plan is. I think I'm more interested in bulls now simply because of all of the transfers, because when I was thinking about this week and, you know, Georgia state's bowl game, I kind of landed on that opinion like that take as well. It definitely looked like they were a team that wanted to throw the ball a lot. Um, and I was like, okay, well, Georgia State lost the, some of their, you know, defensive backs and some of the guys on defense. Um, and I was curious if that was going to be how Utah State tries to attack Georgia State. But now that you mentioned, you know, Williams's play, I think you're right because I, the Wyoming game, I believe that was a game where Wyoming ran a lot a against Georgia State. A ton. Yeah. And, you know, I obviously was out during that day, so I couldn't end up watching it. But that is clearly where Levy Williams, like that is what he is the best at. You know, that we've seen him before and that is clearly how he 
is capable of moving the ball. And, you know, given the people who we expect to play on Saturday for Georgia State, I tend to agree with you. I really think that that's the area where Georgia State is the strongest on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, they might be able to run a little bit. Like, I'm not saying that Georgia State was their end of season, you know, rushing defense certainly looks different than where they were probably in like the middle of October, end of October ish. Um, but it was still a good defense against the run. They were still at least competent. Um, and so that'll be, that'll be interesting to see just how Utah state attacks Georgia state. It's specifically if they're going to try to throw it a lot or run it a lot. And like, we just went through all the reasons why, like, we would be dumb to even think that they were going to go run first, especially because you turn around and they've got Jalen Royals who had 10, um, 1,023 receiving yards and 14 touchdowns this year. Very clearly, you know, big day for Gavin Pringle or Isaiah, Isaiah guy, whoever ends up getting lined up with him. Um, also Terrell Vaughn, who is a slot guy, which is why I've got stars next to his name. Just like circle, circle, circle. He ended up with eight, 847 receiving yards and 10 touchdowns. The, the star spot, the nickel corner spot, Georgia State's gotten picked on this year a few times. Georgia Southern definitely did that to some success in that game. And so Royals is obviously their standout receiver, but I honestly look at Vaughn as the guy that might make the difference for them on offense. If they're able to find him favorable matchups and get him open down the field, that will be a concern. And so having laid out the case for why they might run it more and how that's Georgia state's advantage. I kind of don't believe my own hype there. I think they're probably going to do what they've done all year and just find the packages and the formations and everything that works for Levi Williams to have success in that part of the game because Williams can run and they've got uh, two running backs, a uh, booth and phase who are both very solid running backs. Uh, Devon Booth had 734 rushing yards, average 6.33 yards carry. Rasul Faison, 688 rushing yards, 6.55 yards per carry. So I think it's a case where they might just do what they've done all year and when Georgia State adapts to that, maybe try and get them up the middle with these running backs. And even with Williams as a runner, um, I mentioned a guy, mentioned Pringle. It's going to be uh, a fun game, uh, a jump up back to what was the middle of the year for Isaiah Guy when he took the starting spot. And so I think, you know, you looked at it when Bryce Brown announced he was transferring hands up at BC. Good for him to get back home. Um, if you were looking from afar, it might look at it as like, okay, they lost their second cornerback. But like, honestly, I thought Guy was playing better than Brown for a lot of that uh, stretch, even when Brown came back. And we saw some real flashes from him. So because this game tells as much about 2023 as it does about the rest of it, I'm excited about whatever we see from Guy for what is the future, because he probably is going to have that corner spot when spring practice and fall practice rolls around that he is penciled in as the starter there. And so while it might be scary on the outside, looking at a, you know, Vaughn and the slot who can really test you and Royals who can really, really test you as a perimeter receiver, as far as you're concerned with the guy, you kind of want to see how he lines up with these type of matchups uh, because you're going to count on him for some really important reps, not just this year in this bowl game, but the next couple of years. Yeah, it's been a few years, I'd say, since Georgia State had um, 
let's call it consistent all sunbelt quarterback play. Um, and, and what I mean by that, I don't, I don't say that to take a slide at anybody who has, was here or left. I just say that if guy is somebody who ends up taking a step forward because he has a good bowl game, good spring and going into next year, if he is somebody that takes a step forward and Georgia state can go back to having at least one elite corner that changes so much, you know, teams, a lot of what teams wanted to do against Georgia state was just kind of get their defensive backs in space. And that was how teams were able to pick on, you know, Brinkley's Brown and the last few years, it really was just getting their guys in space and not necessarily throwing over the top and deep, but it was just Georgia state was just playing back. And, you know, once you had some, space in front of people you were able to just get big chunks of yardage i mean a lot of what james madison and app state did was that against the panthers so gonna be an interesting test for sure um it's also gonna be it's gonna be nice to see how the defense attacks this offensive line i feel like utah state's numbers in terms of you know tackles for loss allowed and sacks allowed i mean Stags is licking his chops right now and is going to be coming up with some crazy blitz packages on Saturday, I feel like. Yeah, to put numbers to that, they've allowed 41 sacks this year. It's tied for 119th in FBS with a handful of other teams. And so, you know, the last time they played a team, I mean, ODU's O-line, their numbers were worse. But Georgia State set a new school record with sacks in that game. I know it is hard to think about the uh, positives from the regular season finale, but that was one, you know, tiny little school record set of just an absurd amount of sacks in a single game that they accumulated. And that's the other part of it. I, we'll get to the offense for Georgia. We're, we're putting off the offense because it's the whole bundle of just unknown. The thing about the regular season finale is the thing we had talked about that week. I remember distinctly on the podcast, it was like, ODU is playing for a bowl game does Georgia state match their level of care heading into this one? Or are they going up to Norfolk? They, you know, whatever, obviously they lost the game and you don't want to blow a 21 point lead doing so. But I think they answered the question of like, are they going to show up for this game pretty substantially? Like you have to have a 21 point lead to blow a 21 point lead. And so it's kind of the same thing heading to this bowl game. You know, they're traveling across the country they will just they will be the away team in name and also just literally Utah State is three hours away. They're definitely gonna have more people there. If anything we can take away that is not just abject negativity from that giving that game away to Old Dominion, they were showing up for a game that they didn't necessarily have anything to care about. And that's the type of culture stuff you hope gets instilled. And so there's a lot up in the air with what this offense is going to look like. You know, there's guys that have obviously gone to the portal and this will not be the same Georgia state offense just by sheer personnel that it's been for most of the year. And it was an offense that was regressing down the back half of the season. But I feel like all of the care stuff kind of got answered. And I think that's also encouraging because at this point it feels like Sean Elliott's going to be the coach in 2024, barring something crazy. And you can talk about what the job he has to do and his staff have to do to get more out of the team and avoid those letdown games and avoid catastrophic collapses against teams you've got a three-score lead against. But if you're not seeing him lose the team in games like Old Dominion when you're nothing to play for and in this game, I think mentality and how they play in this game is about the only thing that you can really take away because – there's enough up in the air that if they lose this game, it's like, okay, well, they didn't have Marcus Carroll. They didn't have Robert Lewis, whatever. 
if they don't show up for it, that'll be a, a discouraging thing, I think, because the other side of losing all these guys is you've got a lot of guys that will now have opportunities to play. And that should be exciting for them. And that should get them up for the game as well. And I know we don't have to necessarily linger on this point, but that was kind of the one thought that I didn't agree with when I saw people um, fairly or unfairly criticizing Coach Elliott after that game. I don't think Coach Elliott's ability to get the players up for games is something that should be questioned at all. Like you said, you have to have a 21-point lead to blow a 21-point lead. You did still have the upstate in the JMU game where they clearly did not get into the game. And those were games that they had stakes to play for. Like those performances, those no-shows are a problem. But you at least saw some evidence that he had won them back from the Old Dominion game. Sure. Sorry. That's that is a fair interjection and correction. I agree with you. I just I, I have no I have no doubt in my mind that he'll be able to get them at least up for this game. And, you know, there will be players who we haven't really seen much of, you know, and that's that's kind of the excitement of bull season now with the transfer portal. You it gives guys an opportunity to not just have to wait until the spring game to get some tape. Um, there are guys who are going to get some tape this bowl season and, you know, send it out and still be able to transfer after January starts. So I'm not saying that anybody who is on this depth chart is going to do that. But, you know, that's just kind of the reality of the situation. It gets right. it's an opportunity for guys to be seen. If you are not weighing up that possibility, you have not caught up to 2023 college football. I mean, you can like it or not, but that is a very likely outcome, not at Georgia State specifically, but just anywhere across the FBS because a lot of guys are going to get the start games they weren't doing before, and they might still not sh- be sure how they're going to fit into the future of the program they're at, and they might look at this as that opportunity. And I guess the best thing you can say there is that it would be in the effort of a Georgia State win that they would be trying to do that. But uh, I guess we should unpack all of the known unknowns that we have about this offense because we got a depth chart, which for the first time in a little while, I think actually tells us a fair amount because there were so many guys. It's like Marcus Carroll was not going to be listed on the depth chart. That would, it would not have been believable if it's like, oh, yeah, Marcus Carroll is going to start running. But no, no, he's not. So who is going to be in those spots? Seems like the running back group is going to be Freddie Brock, main transfer, saw him for six carries, power rank, power rank uh, the six carries Freddie Brock had this year, ready to go. Um, Jalen Foster is listed the second in the depth chart. He's a freshman. Uh, we'll still get to redshirt. He has not appeared in a game, and the bowl games don't count anyway, but have not seen him. Ben mentioned him when we talked about recruiting and just the state of the roster earlier. Will be interesting to see how much he does play. And then Terry Burden, who is a walk-on. He's played on special teams. I mean, we've seen it a million times with Elliott. Uh, not a million, but we've seen it at least like four or five times where a guy who's a walk-on plays on special teams, finds a way to get some get some reps. And I guess this would be a part of that story for Burden. I think that that group, especially led by Brock, probably taking almost all of the carries as long as he stays on the field. Like that isn't going to be Marcus Carroll, but especially if you can like break one run, the numbers might be fine. And you've got a second running back in Granger right next to them running the offense. I think the story of this game for this offense and for Georgia state is going to be how the new offensive line, like what they are able to put together in a month of practicing, because the depth chart is now going to be across the board with the starters. 
Ben Shakuma, who played right tackle against Old Dominion, but is a walk-on at left tackle. Jonathan Brown, the left guard, the one remaining starter from the uh, regular season finale. Uh, Alec Johnson uh, at center. Uh, Lamar Robinson, the right guard. And Trevor Timmons, who has been playing right guard all year, is going to slide outside and play right tackle. Um, playing a guard at tackle, playing a walk-on at the other tackle, it's not a great sell job as far as like this is going to be an elite offensive line, but this offense this year is – I mentioned the numbers a couple pods ago. It's the least rushing yards per game they've had since Brad Glenn got here in 2019. Kind of a weird year in spite of some of the big numbers they put up in individual games. The constant for the offense with the rushing attack is they hit some explosives. And I think that's going to be the key. It's You're not going to have an offensive line that you can expect can go out there and just win in the trenches every down on 50 rushes and you're going to run for 400 yards. But can they open up the holes on those five or six plays and let Darren hit a 70-yard run for a touchdown or let Brock get open and cross midfield and set the offense up and flip the field? That's going to be, I think, where the difference lies because – if you're expecting them to suddenly be like super crisp and just everything works, I think that's unrealistic. But can they make enough plays happen and open up enough holes to let the offense stay on the field and put up some points? That'll be, for me, what makes the offense tick or not tick in this game. I wonder if they're going to run the option and just have Darren kind of be the one to dictate, kind of get the running backs in space. Like go full, like shotgun flex bone. Honestly, yes. Like I wonder if that's what they're going to do, at least in the first half to kind of see and take the temperature, if you will, of the running back situation. Because I mean, like you said, the offensive line is, I wouldn't call it a hodgepodge because that's probably unfair, but there's, there's some mixing and matching that has been going on and, you know, they've had to obviously replace some guys because guys left and, you know, there's some consistency since Brown is still there, but yeah, all the other guys have been playing and, you know, practicing, but this will be their first actual in-game time as a unit you know they might have had to play go in for a play or something to spell somebody but this you know in these roles too like this is their time to shine so i wonder if they're going to try to have darren sort of dictate the offense to get guys comfortable and you know into the game flow if you will yeah i mean the one thing i remember distinctly from the arizona bowl is that that first touchdown drive was like a bunch of Dan Ellington runs, even though he only had one leg and he scored a touchdown. I was like, Oh, okay. I guess we're doing this. Uh, that didn't last, but it would be very funny to see like just six straight Darren Granger, just no option. Just he runs it on the QB draw uh, on this, on the first drive up in Boise and see what happens there uh, on Utah state's defensive side. I mentioned the guys on the offense. Uh, I think there there's one receiver that they have who is um, going to be unavailable due to an injury who had 628 receiving yards, Micah Davis. Um, defensively, they have an opt-out uh, safety, Devin Dye, who is the fourth leading tackler on the team and had two interceptions. Went to the portal and now has ended up at Kansas. So that's a good player that they will not have. Um, and, an injury to one of their linebackers, Anthony Switzer, who's their third leading tackler. Says so linebacker, he's like a linebacker safety type, someone in the middle of the field. So if you're looking to get the run game going, them not having those two 
middle of the field kind of staunch guys will certainly help. But it's not a reverse situation where you look at Utah State on either side of the ball, really. They're not so much hampered by the portal as Georgia State. So I feel like they have a lot less up in the air as they're looking to this game. But we saw it this last weekend with Georgia Southern going up against an Ohio team who was replacing. I saw one one number was like 70% of their offense production. I saw somewhere else the number was 85% of the offense production because their quarter quarterback went to the portal. Their backup quarterback is injured. So they're they're on their third QB. I think they're on like their fifth running back and fifth wide receiver. And Ohio ran away with that thing and won 41-21. Georgia Southern was the slight betting favorite by the time that game kicked after Ohio had started as the favorite just because everyone looked at the opt-outs and the injuries and it was like, who is going to play for this team? So I feel like that is the case that Georgia State's going to look for as far as like bowl season is weird. You don't know, and do these guys take advantage of this opportunity? Because Ohio certainly did. No one was expecting them to win that game, particularly handily, except me, David, and Chris, who picked them in the uh, Panther Talk Pick'em. But, like, no one was expecting that result. I don't think anyone's really expecting Georgia State to win like that, and I'm certainly not. But that was your test case for, like, the lack of knowledge about this Georgia State team also negatively affects Utah State, especially because they've had to do the same recruiting stuff that Georgia State staff has. Georgia State's got a chance to throw some wrinkles, maybe not going to the full flex bone, though we'll see. I'll let you take a, a victory lap and a half on that if that ends up being the thing and they run it like 70 times in this game. But uh, it can also work to their advantage if they're able to make the most of this time. And I do go back to... Sean Elliott's three and one in bowl games at Georgia State. The one loss was the game to, against Wyoming, where Dan Ellington was a non-functional standing quarterback. So they do have a little bit of gravitas to say that they know how to get teams prepped for bowl games and they know how to use this time. And you look across at other coaches who are very successful, have good records, who don't have that same bowl record, and it's not all random. There is a, a way to prep well for a bowl game. And I think it's fair to say at this point, for whatever flaws you want to point out to Coach Elliott and his staff, getting ready for bowl games isn't one of them. And so this is probably the biggest test that they've had to uh, set up in terms of all that they are losing. But there is still that thing you can point to, that they have shown an ability to make the most of these December practices before. And if the team's ready to play, it's going to be interesting. Um Certainly looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to like, you know, the fries bath, Smurf turf, et cetera, et cetera. Like it feels like just the peak bowl season bowl and Georgia state's a part of it. Yeah. I, I'm so glad that Georgia state got to be in one of the, you know, special bowls, like absolutely no disrespect to the care, the uh, curable or the Arizona bowl. I don't know what that one was a few years ago, but you know, people always talk about the Duke's Mayo bowl or, you know, the potato bowl. And it's nice that Georgia state is in one of the funky bowls. Coach Elliott would love a bath of fries. Let me tell you. Yeah. I mean, I've been meaning to, I think there's going to be a, a media availability on Friday and that will be one of the questions I leave at the end, just thoughts on the fries bath. And I'm sure he's going to be like, listen, you could bathe me in whatever we win. I got a doggone football game. Um, but yeah, all that said, if it ended up being like 34, 10 Utah state and just the offense can't get out of the mud, 
wouldn't totally shock me. Like, it is the case where the expectations are all on kind of like, we don't know what to expect from this, but we'll just see, we'll have to see how it plays out. I, I think it's important for Coach Elliott to get a win here just because ending on a six-game losing streak is just the dregs, and it's certainly not going to make anyone feel better. I don't think a win is going to erase a lot of the concerns. And like we talked about with Ben on the signing day stuff, like staff questions still exist. And like, is it going to be time to move on some, some of these coaches after the bowl game? We'll see if they're, if he is going to make some of those decisions, but I do think a win at least buys you back something where it isn't feeling completely like free fall as it is going to be then after that, you know, eight plus months until the team is going to play again. Yeah, bowl wins are always better than bowl losses. You know, I mean, I know that sounds like a hot take, but no, truthfully, and even if it doesn't reset the vibes going into the, you know, the rest of the offseason and into next summer, it's still, you still feel much better about some of the players that are on your team if they're capable of having really good days and finding a way to get a W. And, you know, talk about legacy, talk about Darren Granger and what he's done. You'd have a chance to be the first Georgia State quarterback to win multiple bowl games. I am sure that is not nothing for him. Is he the first quarterback to go to multiple bowl games? Because I don't think well, any other yeah. quarterback has gone to – because yeah. uh, Dan only went to the one. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, he is already but, making history. Yeah. He can make further history. And, and I'm not – you know, I'm not diminishing your point. That's just – that is also a feat. Like, I think people – People have a very interesting perception of Darren Granger, we'll, but he's yeah, we'll, we'll table it. Yeah, he's we'll got a chance that, to do some fun. And Georgia State's three and two all time in bowl games. They would move to four and two. Obviously, that's how math works with this. They would drop to five hundred if they lose this one at three and three. And so it also is. There's a degree of like you don't want to drop to five hundred bowl games. You'd rather get to that four and two and keep going the positive direction because. Like as long as you keep making bowl games and keep winning bowl games, you can keep control of that. You can't turn what is a sub 40 all time win percentage around overnight, but this is something that like, if they just keep winning the bowl games, that number can still look as pretty as I'll get out until the other one maybe, or maybe doesn't catch up. So weirdly, a lot of numbers and history at stake with this, uh, Famous Idaho Potato Bowl, but honestly, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, that uh, that total record can look however it wants to look, and that's fine. The bowl, the bowl record being nice and clean always—that's what really counts. That's what everybody's going to pay attention to, especially when Georgia State ends up being in the college football playoff in a few years. Yeah, they're they're running up against the the Reddit theory of twenty twenty five. I think. You're going to have to see some dynamite recruiting stuff going on the next couple months and uh, next December to be ready for the CFP 2025. Although, when they put that out way back when, I forget what year that was, was not the 12th team yet. It is certainly a lot more conceivable now that a team like Georgia State could make the playoff just because of the fact that you're going to have that G5 access slot every year. I'm not forecasting Georgia State to be in that game in 2025, but uh, or in that playoff in 2025, but... For better, for worse, the college football landscape and what the 12-team playoff is going to mean, uh, there is that. So, Reddit dreamers, you're still alive. Now that we have dispensed with the signing day, with the football, 
Uh, we can probably take this and like talk about these games and leave a little bit of basketball talk for next week uh, because basketball is now off uh, after playing two weeks this past uh, two games this past week. Got a little bit uh, ugly up uh, in Provo, Utah. They ended up losing at BYU 86-54 last Saturday. Uh, but they got to get right a feel-right game Tuesday in the Convocation Center at 11 a.m. They won by their biggest score differential in school history, I believe. The most points they have scored in a regulation game in school history. And obviously the most points they have scored with Jonas Hayes as the head coach. Beating Tacoa Falls 122-45. to uh, the bummer of it all is they are still going to be sub 500 through this non-conference stretch. They finish it five and six. Next on the docket is Arkansas State to open Sunbelt play at home December 30th. And we will touch on that game and preview the Red Wolves next week's pod. But from two games that told drastically opposite stories, where do you sit after the basketball this past week? Um, I see it's, it's tough because you're right. These games told two different stories and I don't even think the story was about Georgia state basketball. And what I mean by that is, you know, you mentioned last week, BYU is very good. You said, I can't remember if you used these words exactly, or if it was on the broadcast. Um, but I believe somebody said that Georgia state was a trade. I believe somebody said that this game was going to be a track meet and uh, yeah, it absolutely was. And there were times that I was actually really encouraged with Georgia state's defense. And I don't know that I can say that I've ever said that about a team who gave up 86 points. Um, But I know I really feel like a lot of those 39 points that BYU had in the first half, there were a couple like, okay, you know, whatever, this is a really good team threes, but BYU really earned those threes that they were taking. They were nine of 21 uh, in the first half. And yeah, that's 42.9%, but they took a ton of threes. That is their offense. And that's what they want to do. Um, obviously in the second half, they took less and kind of cooled down from there, even though they scored more, but I really feel like Georgia state had a, a surprising, if you will, defensive performance in that game. And, you know, I'm it, we're through 11 games now. I don't know that I should be concerned. I don't know that I would use the word concerned about the three-point shooting, but I think I've landed on it's better than last year and probably not going to be enough. Um, they can do whatever they want in terms of the final Sunbelt standings. That is, I'm not predicting anything as far as that. I just think if the offense is going to be good this year, it's probably going to come because the threes that they're taking are smart threes instead of a volume of threes. And it's because they're going to shoot from the free throw line well and play well inside the paint. You know, that's probably going to be where they want to make their bread and butter. Um, because against some of these better teams, the three point shooting honestly has just not been what you want to see it as, um, you know, they shot 35% against Tacoa falls. And, you know, that is an opponent that you want to be, sh- you want to be making sure that you're doing very, very well when you're shooting threes against the Tacoa falls, obviously no disrespect. Um, and I just, I just don't think that I see this team, you know, being top five in the Sun Belt, for example, in terms of 
you know, shooting threes, which they might be okay. It might be a team that is capable of having success, not shooting top five in the conference. Um, but, you know, that was obviously something that we have highlighted going into this year. It was obviously a problem last year. Um, and I'm just not sure that it has been fixed to the level that Coach uh, Hayes wants it to be fixed. I don't know. Of all the things, I feel like it's workable because the 35% number, okay, whatever. I, some of that got brought down because you had some walk-on shooting at the end of the games. And Tenari Lane who has been probably the best, most consistent for most of this non-conference shooting threes was three of 12 in that game. And I feel like he's a little bit trying to find his shot again. And so that contributed to those numbers as well. The two games told me something in just, you know, obviously BYU being good and having some length plays a part in this, but when Georgia state fought back into that game, I think they got it as close as, five and had a, a missed layup that would have cut it to a single possession. They didn't settle as much for not even just threes, but just like jumpers off balance stuff. Like it felt like as soon as they started getting to their spots on the floor, the offense opened up more, and whether that was getting layups or whether they were driving and dishing and getting some threes that way, that was what was working to get them back into that game. And early on as BYU built kind of a lead and we're making their shots. It just felt like really stagnant, ISO-y offense and guys taking shots the first time there was any kind of space between them and their defender. And that's just never going to be winning offensive basketball. And against Tacoa Falls, and this is the part of it where it was not a good – they came into that game averaging 90 points given up in their games against, no, not all D1 competition. Uh, so – you can't take too much away from how much success they had and the shots they were getting, but they were running their offense and they were passing the ball, being selfless against Tacoa Falls. They were getting good looks. And I don't think they're going to be able to manage as many good looks and do that to the degree they did against Tacoa Falls against most teams, any team on their schedule. But, you know, you look at the way that they were running their offense and that is something they can stick to. I feel like that's the thing that, Jonas is, and his staff are going to have to work on getting through and making sure that they are not getting out of that offensively because I think they have a chance to put up whatever numbers they need to, scoring the ball, shooting the ball, if they are sticking to that script and not getting, okay, I've got to, you know, there's 30 seconds or there's, there's 28 seconds, 22 seconds on the shot clock, and you're putting up a three because you have space off the dribble. Like you haven't run any action to get any kind of rhythm on this shot. You just have a little bit of space. Saw some of that in the BYU game. And it's been a trend through, I'd say probably most of the tenure of Jonas Hayes with a little bit of games here or there where it got better. And so I think it's a coaching thing. Like it's about making sure that message gets through because I don't take anything away from, you know, you scored 122 against Tacoa Falls, but like how they looked doing it and just what they were running as long as they don't get frustrated in games by what defenses are throwing at them, they can still do that part of it. And that'll lead to some more sustained success. And I, I think that's going to be important because I think it's going to be a team that's going to have to lead offensively. And we've said it a few times, but as we enter Sunbelt play, I think that we've still learned enough about the offense and the defense to say the offense is the leading unit. They're going to have to find ways to continue to get the most out of the defense. Um, Edna Moko with a double-double and 
having a big size advantage against Taco Falls helps you there because he had a good game. Maybe he can build on that confidence wise should still get DK Manuel at some point through conference play. And that will help with the defense and just having some more size out there. But like the truth of it is you're going to need to have the offense be the focal point and you're going to need to outscore some teams, I think. And I think that's possible. I think if you have Lucas Taylor and Tanari Lane and Julian Mackey setting up in the corners and letting guys like Dewan Odom and maybe Malik Ferguson, uh, Brendan Tucker as well, who didn't play against Taco Falls, those guys run the lane, run the offense, and get some you know, passes out to those guys in the perimeter. That's how you can get three game going. And you saw that against Taco Falls. I, you know, it's going to be a test, I think, of Coach Hayes and his staff because if they are not able to do that, they're going to lose some more games like the Mercer game, like the Kennesaw game that are eminently winnable because the offense gets into too long of ruts. So I, it will be a real marker we can lay down about Jonas Hayes and his staff's ability to coach up these guys because, you know, the, the Tokoa game showed you that at least. And if you're not going to have as many shots as you did in that game in any other game this year that are that open and that good, and you're not going to be able to just blow by guys like that. But you can stick to it, and that will lead them to greener pastures than a 5-6 and six record as we talk right now. Yeah, you know, I, I might have been a little bit pessimistic on their ability to shoot the three ball, but I don't think scoring necessarily has been a problem for Georgia State this year. You know, there have been a couple of games where they haven't scored high. Um, you know, if you if you count high, like 65, 70 plus, you know, they've missed that number by my count really quickly, like four times in the 11 games. And I just don't know that I think that that as being a problem in the way that we thought of it last year, you know, Charlotte's got a good defense. They held Charlotte held Georgia state to 57 points. Um, you know, when Georgia state played Mercer, they only scored 60 BYU obviously kind of took over that game and, you know, Georgia state wasn't able to crack 60, but it wasn't for a lack of pace or a lack of Georgia state's ability necessarily. Um, it's, it's yeah, so that's hard. To- almost my point is like, Last year, I think it was about ability and just personnel. I think they've got the personnel to have a good offense. And if you have more games like you did against Charlotte, against Kennesaw, against Mercer, I mean, really the Mercer game of the last ones was the bummer because they scored 60 and that wasn't a good Mercer team defensively. If this team with more talent is not able to score more and more often, then that's a real problem with this staff. Because I think that it's there. They just got to be able to, get them to stay in the offense more, I think. And that's not a bad thing. You know, I I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see what it looks like when it gets the Sunbelt play, because, you know, they're averaging about 77 points a game right now, 78 points a game. Um, Including the Tacoma Falls game. Don't worry. The median is close, so it's not like it's not like I didn't take that into consideration. You got a nice little offset after the BYU game immediately after. Exactly. Exactly. It kind of averages out, right? Um, so it's it, we'll see what it looks like when they get into Sunbelt play. But they like like you said, they could be a team that ends up fine in the offense department, and that's just gonna be what leads them to being a, a halfway decent Sunbelt team because I'm looking around the league and, you know, we haven't started our uh, 
peering around the league, you know, whatever you want to call it. I don't think Georgia State is the worst team in the Sun Belt by any stretch of the well, imagination. I know that I know that's a, not a bar. Winless team. So certainly they would at least only be second worst. Sorry, yes. I, I know that that's not like this crazy bar to have, but I think that Georgia State has played a good bit better than some of the teams that are below them. And yeah, that might not end up mattering when we get to February and like the end of February and into March, but that's that's not nothing. It's certainly not nothing. Well, I mean, they won three conference games last year. If they're just beating teams that, like, whether it's the Net or Ken Palm, that they are better than, they'll at least get to the middle of the pack in the Sun Belt, and it would feel like progress after last year. It would not feel like success relative to this last decade. But certainly, I think that this team is capable of at least winning the games they should in conference play, and that would feel like something. But they're also capable of losing those games if they play like they did maybe for most of the Mercer game and against, you know, Kennesaw. And that was maybe my point is like, if they are still losing all these, whether it's at home or on the road with some of these teams, if they're losing the type of games that they dropped last year was like, Oh, that was a winnable game. You just let slip. That's where it's like, all right, we're entering year three under Jonas Hayes. And we're not sure he is able to get them to, play to their level, let alone beat the teams at the top of the league. And that's where you start having the real dialogues as it were. Um, I don't want to leave it on like that note. I did want to single out Ricky Bradley, who I think has been a bit in the wilderness the last couple of weeks. Uh, Just, I don't know what's up. Just, he hadn't been playing a ton of minutes and hadn't really been earning a lot more court time, but against Tacoa falls, he was three of five on threes. He ended up with 11 points. He had, Five assists, no turnovers, and again, you don't really take away anything as far as like that means he's going to be a double-digit guy all season because it was Tacoa Falls, but sometimes a guy just needs a game to go his way again to kind of get that again. And to the point of what the offense needing to stick to it, if you have a guy beyond Dewan that you trust running the point like Bradley was, I think, expected to be, if he is finding it again, that will be important to that goal. And the other guy, I, I teased it earlier, Malik Ferguson played the final like four minutes against BYU and the game was over, but it was interesting to me that he was playing that much of garbage time. Cause usually you see like walk-ons come in final minute and a half. And that's what BYU ended up doing in that game and state subbed in some more guys at that point. And so right before tip against Dakota falls, I was like, actually he played earlier than he like should have. And playing it all against BYU was interesting because it felt like he might've been a redshirt candidate all along. And then he played a lot more against Tacoa Falls. He came in with like 13 minutes on the clock in the first half against Tacoa Falls. He ended up with 17 points, three steals. And so I'm just wondering if we are going to see a lot more of Malik Ferguson in the second half of the season. And if like the flip has switched and they've seen it in practice and they want to see him play more. My first indication of that being the case would have been him playing a lot against Tacoa Falls. And there he was scoring 17 and ended up playing 20 minutes in that game. So I am curious. And I think it would be a positive for all I said about the defense. He brings an energy on that side that I think would greatly, greatly add to whatever they're able to do on that. And got a good-looking jump shot. He can run the lane. Color me very impressed with the early things I've seen from him. You can see why Jonas has raved about him in the uh, preseason Honestly, I like the bench, you know, I, like starter designations kind of go by the wayside. And yeah, obviously to falls of it all. But, you know, I think 
I feel pretty good about the bench for Georgia State in a way that I couldn't tell you the last time I felt this good about the Panthers bench. You know, I think they have a lot of both solid options, good options. And, you know, there's some intrigue there. If Coach Hayes wants to really reach into his bag of tricks at some point during conference play. Yeah, and it felt like in the middle of non-con, he got away from it a little bit. He really tightened up the rotations in some of these games. And I did like that I saw him go back to, you know, against BYU and obviously against Tacoa Falls. I had, they were rotating a ton in the second half because they were up by 50. But even against BYU, they were doing the thing in the first half where you'd have really short shifts for guys and you just rotate where you're seeing basically the entire rotation play within the first eight minutes of the game, whatever. And I think that has to be a strength of this team. We talked about it after the Belmont game. It's like, oh, wow, there's a lot of guys that can play right now. And there's still a freshman who hasn't logged any minutes. And now we're talking about the other freshman who might have worked his way into the rotation in some role or other. I think it is encouraging from a coaching perspective, talking about like what we need to see from Jonas growing as a head coach, that he got that back after kind of veering back into a short rotation that I don't think is the strength of this team. I think you've, you've got strength in numbers and I think you've got to work to that. And as out of conference schedule has now ended, we've seen him get back into that. And especially with these back-to-backs in conference play, that can be a real benefit. If you've got guys on the bench, you trust that can maybe play those extra minutes on the Saturday game after the Thursday, because some of the other teams in Sunbelt got some good players, got some good depth, but not everyone does. And so as you're looking for any kind of edge as we head into Sunbelt play, that should be something Georgia State tries to lean on. And it seems like the coaching staff is agreeing because we've seen their substitution patterns the last couple of games. Well, that was a long one. We have made it through. Thank you for listening to all of this and covering recruiting, covering football, now covering basketball. Uh, the whole shebang today, uh, but you paid for it in the fact that we are running on an hour and 20 minutes of a podcast. Thanks so much for listening, guys.